Let's start, though, by talking to somebody who is an evacuee, one of the many evacuees right now in British Columbia. Jeff Bourne removed from his home in Kamloops, now staying in West Kelowna. And Jeff is joining us on the line now. Thanks so much for being here. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, what What was it like? And kind of can you walk us through what happened to you? Well, yeah, I mean, we were just, me and my wife were just hanging out at home and, and enjoying a day off. And uh, I got a call from a family member saying that there was a fire near our uh, location. And, you know, I, I didn't think much about it, but uh, I went outside and I, I started to see some smoke come up over the trees. And, uh, you know, it just it progressively got worse and worse and worse. And, and we're talking really fast, too, so... And what was it like then? I understand you had uh, an additional uh, bit of, well, the stress of being evacuated and having that evacuation order. Uh, but I understand with your mobility, you also, it would have been a bit more challenging. Yeah, my wife and I are both in a uh, wheelchair. She's in a power wheelchair and I'm in a, a manual wheelchair. So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a lot more uh stressful and a lot more complicated but uh you know luckily we had some really good people to help us out and uh you know um we were able to make it out safely and and we're staying at a uh, hotel here now in west Kelowna. so uh, so that's great that you were able to find a place to go and were you ready then as far as being on evacuation alert and having whatever it was that you wanted to take with you knowing that uh, you may have been put under that order <laughs> We were ready. Um, you know, we weren't completely prepared, but, uh, you know, we, we had the essentials ready. But, uh, you know, once we started to, to see the smoke really uh, billowing, then we really started to get into a panic and uh, got ready really fast. So, um, yeah, it, it was uh, quite a whirlwind day yesterday. Sounds like it. So which fire is it? Do you know the one that you were able to see the smoke that caused the evacuation order for you? It's the Mount Law fire. It's uh, six minutes from our from uh, Glen Rosa in the west side, right across the street from the uh, Visitor Inspiration Center uh, in Peachland. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. So BC, the, the wildfire service saying it's burning right now uh, at about 800 hectares, uh, classified mm-hmm. as, as out of control. That must have been mm-hmm. pretty stressful, though, like you said, looking at it and seeing it move so quickly. It was really scary. Um, you know, it, it's something I've never experienced and, and never thought I would experience. Um, you know, we just have to re we had to realize that you know what we're not the only ones in the province unfortunately that it is happening to so i mean you know we're unfortunately in good company right so did you get enough time from the evacuation alert to do you think when the order came did you get enough warning and or, or time from wildfire officials from provincial officials to get your things in order no, we had to go right now. Uh, we we asked a provincial officer what was going on, and they said, get out now. So we luckily had our van packed, and we jumped in the van, and we took off straight, right away. So, uh, Does it worry you that others that might not be as mobile, like you said, even uh, you and your wife both in wheelchairs, is it concerning, or, or are there concerns that there might be others that aren't able to move so quickly? 
Oh, it is from a disabled community standpoint. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you know, it just makes me wonder: Does the the government in the province have a, a mandate or a plan to get the um, more disabled um, out on time and in in fashionable order? Um, you know. My wife and I are lucky, and we have such good people around us that we were able to um, get out. But, um, yeah, I mean, somebody who doesn't have that support, what happens to them? And, you know, going forward, I really hope the government and, and Wildfire BC has that mandate and that plan in, in place. So. What kind of support did you get from your neighbors? Um, not really from the neighbors so much, um, mainly from our support workers and our friends. Um, you know, it, our neighbors were in such a panic too. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was just mass chaos. Um, you know, they had to pack up, they had to go, and it was going so quickly that, you know, nobody had a time, a chance to help anybody else, right? So. They couldn't think of, of anybody else except themselves. And it's understandable, too, you know, how fast this thing was going. Yeah, well, I hope that your home is okay and that uh, that everything works out uh, for you. And it's uh, great to hear that you were able to get out, you and your wife, and get to safety in West Kelowna. Thank you so much. We'll leave it there for today. But, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the program and talking more about this. Of course. Thank you so much. Well, as you know, today is the first full day of the federal election campaign. Justin Trudeau, as expected, going to the governor general yesterday and then announcing that Canadians will be going to the polls. The decisions your government makes right now will define the future your kids and grandkids grow up in. So in this pivotal, consequential moment, who wouldn't want to say Who wouldn't want their chance to help decide where our country goes from here? Let's bring in Richard Zussman, Global News journalist based in Victoria. Richard, great to have you back here providing us with comments and analysis of another election campaign. (laughs) Happy to do it, Jill. (laughs) I think we knew this one was coming, but I think uh, it's the campaign that a lot of British Columbians uh, aren't particularly interested in at this point, considering all the other things that are happening in our world from fires to COVID and, and everything uh, else. Yeah, and I found that the comment that he made, and I just played a bit of it there, and Justin Trudeau also saying that uh, if you were opposed to this election, you were opposed to giving Canadians a choice, which I found quite bizarre, being that we had a choice less than two years ago. We made a choice then, and we were happy to go and do it again on the fe- fixed election date, but not to, not the way it's going to happen. Uh, so let's talk about what happened today. We uh, heard from or have seen the platform from the Conservatives. Yeah, and so this was really interesting, Jill. Often campaigns will wait to sort of get their feet under them. They will travel a bit and then they will announce their platform. Well, the Conservatives have decided to take the approach that they announced the full platform today on the first full day of the campaign and no doubt will be making stops over the next month and a bit uh, to you know, focus in on some of the issues. So there are some big scale issues and there are some more uh, targeted boutique issues. Uh, and so I want to go through a few of those, Jill. You know, one of them 
is a lot of it is built around COVID and COVID recovery. And there's a few boutique things that are going to stand out for people. One is for one month, and the platform doesn't say which month, the government will support the restaurant and bar sector by providing a 50% rebate for food and non-alcoholic drinks Monday to Wednesday. So we don't know when yet, but this is a way obviously to get people to get back uh, into restaurants and bars and spending money and helping that hard hit sector. They are also proposing a GST holiday sometime in the fall, again, for an entire month where GST will be waived on retail purchases There are also boutique promises in here around um, the tourism sector and helping support the sector. So this is all about getting people to spend their money with government providing uh, a kickback or support in order to do so. Then there's also one of the big promises is getting rid of the child care plan that is built by the Liberal government and instead targeting it towards lower income families uh, and providing childcare support up to 75% of cost. So instead of a blanket plan that targets for $10 a day, uh, a conservative government would work directly with the provinces to support those, you know, in lower and middle income families and support them uh, with childcare costs. There's also a boost here to those that make the least, uh, as well as the uh, climate action plan that the Conservatives have already rolled out, which would modify uh, carbon pricing. All right. Uh, interesting uh, issues uh, that are in that platform that was released. I want to play a quick clip for you. This was Aaron O'Toole because he's been asked several questions about the vaccination policy or what he's saying about vaccinations and federal employees. And I support enhanced measures such as masking, showing a negative test and rapid testing for those who are unvaccinated. Those are reasonable precautions that we can all use to fight together against COVID-19. I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of people have been pointing out or suggesting that while Justin Trudeau has come out with a mandatory vaccination policy for federal employees, Aaron O'Toole is not doing that. But if you look at the Treasury Board, the Chief Human Resources Officer of Canada, the posting that was put out, the letter on the Government of Canada website says, for those who refuse vaccination, we will need to consider alternative measures such as testing and screening, which to me makes the two plans seem very similar. Yeah, they are. And another part of this as well is what happens for travel. I think the the Liberals, the government announced that there would be a requirement to travel. Again, the question is what happens if someone refuses to get that vaccination? Is there, and, and those that cannot receive vaccination. So I think the challenge here though, Jill, is all about the language being used, that the Liberals are coming out much stronger in language in terms of requiring people. But like you said, the challenge will be how do you actually implement it? Because there will be uh, significant um, legal challenges around an employee who, for whatever reason, does not believe uh, they should be vaccinated, um, whether they can work or not. And there may be ways that they are required to work from home or they may be required, as you mentioned, to get tested. But I think the difference between the two plans is language. And, and the concern from the Conservatives, no doubt, is disrupting a base in part 
that does not believe in mandatory vaccinations for um, privacy reasons or human rights reasons or whatever other reason. But this is going to be a major issue on the campaign trail. And I'm not sure people are going to buy O'Toole's idea that, you know, testing is going to solve all because testing can be expensive and there are going to be really big challenges about who administers the test, how quickly are the tests done, are these rapid tests um, reliable or not, and, and what happens if we do continue to see uh, surges of COVID-19, not just here in BC, but other places in the country linked to those who have not received the vaccine. All right. Uh, one of the other issues, and some question on how much of an issue this will be on the campaign trail, and that is the chaos and what we're seeing unfolding in Afghanistan. There are Canadian supporters, these are allies, that we need to be doing everything possible to help. So I wouldn't have called an election. I would be deploying all resources possible to get those uh, that are at risk out of Afghanistan, provide them with help to evacuate not only the people directly impacted, but their families as well. So that was NDP leader Jagmeet Singh talking about that. Do you think this will be a big issue? I do. And it has dominated day one. And I think it is traumatic uh, for those living in Afghanistan trying to get out and those who are watching the pictures from all around the world. Uh, The liberal leader, Justin Trudeau, was asked about this a number of times uh, today. Uh, He said that as of Monday, at least 807 Afghans have been evacuated. 500 have arrived in Canada, though thousands are still stranded uh, in what is an incredibly desperate situation there. And at least for the first few days, Jill, this is going to be something that there's going to be intense focus on. What can Canada do to help? What is Canada's role? I don't agree with Jagmeet Singh in that clip that, you know, the government, uh, the Liberals can't continue to govern, aside from the Prime Minister being on the campaign trail, that there are bureaucrats who are working on this. There are people in global affairs. There are people on the ground helping to get people into Canada. Uh, But Clearly, there are going to be a lot of issues around what the role of our country, what the role our country has to play here in this humanitarian crisis and this diplomatic crisis, um, as well as this global crisis. So I think it's going to be one of those things that ultimately likely won't influence who a lot of people vote for, Jill, but will occupy a lot of time in terms of the conversation over the next few days. Can we expect, do you think, or how much attention do you think BC will get in person from the leaders? Yeah, so I would expect that we're going to see uh, the major party leaders, at least uh, Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau and potentially Aaron O'Toole this week. BC is important to all these political parties. And yes, there are more seats in Quebec and Ontario. We know that. But there are some really substantial issues here in BC around climate, around childcare, around transit that can uh, be you know, cast over in other parts of the country as well. So I would expect we could see Jagmeet Singh uh, as early as, you know, tomorrow or the next day. We could see Justin Trudeau in the same timeline. Erno Tool for now seems to be anchored in Ottawa. We don't know when we will see uh, him hit the road, but I would expect we will see lots of those three. The big question, though, Jill, is whether we see Annamie Paul. She is the Green Party leader. Yesterday, she made comments about focusing on her riding in Toronto Centre. The Greens have two seats. They are both in British Columbia. They're both on Vancouver Island. I'm curious to see whether she comes here or whether Elizabeth May and Paul Manley, the two incumbents, just run their campaigns on Vancouver Island. May may travel to Vancouver to try to get votes. It's going to be curious. There's obviously a lot of fighting going on within the Greens. And uh, I... I think voters here will push back if the Green leader doesn't even show up in the province during the campaign. 
All right. Interesting times. Richard, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. But thanks for doing this today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Joe. We have been talking about the wildfires currently burning in B.C., more evacuation orders and alerts. And we've been also keeping you up to date on the Coquihalla Highway. As you've likely heard in the news, that highway was closed between Hope and Merritt because of wildfires. Let's bring in Laura Wilson now, Public Information Officer with the Central Okanagan Emergency Operations. Laura, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. What's the latest there with the the fires of note in that area? Yeah, so we actually have two fires in the central Okanagan area that we're actively monitoring. Um, We've been watching the White Rock Lake fire, uh, which is to the north of us, uh, which has um, been an active and a large fire in our area, as well as last night we had the Mount Law fire that uh, took off on us last night. And as far as evacuations at this point, do you know how many people are under evacuation order and how many people are under evacuation alert? Yeah, so we have a couple hundred uh, people, or sorry, um, we have hundreds of people that are currently under evacuation order as well as alert in both of these fire areas. Um, A number of people for the White Rock Lake fire have been out on evacuation order for a number of weeks, as well as those that were evacuated in the West Kelowna area, um, Glen Rosa, last night. And how did things go as far as the evacuation? I heard there was some confusion as far as which roads were open and where people should go. Yeah, evacuations can definitely be uh, a very uh, crazy time for a lot of people. Um, But we definitely have great first responders who are working hard to make sure people get to the right places, that they're getting the supports that they need uh, in the area. Um, I also understand there has been significant property damage from the, we'll start with the White Rock Lake wildfire. Do you know how many structures have been lost at this point? Yeah, so the crews were working on a very active fire last night due to our, due to our drought conditions and ongoing wind. Um, and we know that um, in the area we have somewhere between 50 and 60 uh, structures that were damaged overnight. Um, at this time, it continues to be an active and volatile changing situation as we go. And we're working with BC Wildfire uh, right now to get crews into the area to do a more fulsome uh, structural uh, report on the area. And when you say 50 to 60 structures, are we talking about homes? Are we talking about outbuildings as well or do you know what specifically has been destroyed? So we don't have a, uh, we're still under looking at what has happened in the area right now, but the area includes rural um, properties with outbuildings. It includes people's homes as well as vacation homes, so it could be a combination of those. And with the Mount Law fire, um, that fire burning near West Kelowna, have there been structures lost to that fire as well? Yeah, we understand there's been a few structural loss, and that this time, again, just due to the volatility of the fire in the area, we're not sure um, what those structures are at this time. All right. but And as far as you know, then, did everybody who was placed under evacuation order leave, and were they able to get out? Yeah, to the best of my uh, knowledge, I do understand that people have, are very, most people are very good at obeying the uh, evacuation orders and they've been um, supported by emergency social services here. And how are things going as far as resources? I know we've heard from, uh, I believe it was the mayor of Logan Lake as well. Uh, we spoke earlier with the board chair for the Thompson Nicola Regional District, both calling on the BC government to bring in the military. How are things going as far as resources that, that are out and in the area to fight these fires. 
So from an emergency operations perspective, we're working with all of our partners. This includes local firefighting, this includes volunteer firefighting, as well as BC Wildfire Service um, to, to tackle these fires as best we can. So um, we're, we definitely are a strong partner with BC Wildfire and work with them who also turn to other resources such as bringing in firefighters from out of province as well as um, support like from our, our military as well. So um, as far as I understand, we're doing our best to keep the right amount of people on the ground and the resources that are there to help protect property and protect people's lives. You mentioned those two fires, then the Mount Law and the White Rock Lake. I know there are a number of other fires that are in the wildfires of note, specifically out of the Kamloops Fire Centre area. Are there other fires as well that are currently burning out of control that are of concern? Uh, I can't speak to anything outside of our regional district area, um, but of course it's a highly volatile situation out there with our hot and dry conditions as well as the winds that we experience. Um, it's certainly quite easy for to, to light a spark, so it's really important people um, take the time to make sure that they're being safe out there, that they are um, not lighting fires, and that uh, there is camp, obeying the campfire ban in place, and that they're reporting things uh, as soon as they see them. And you mentioned the weather. Uh, What's the weather like there today? So today, we are expecting a little bit of rain and a little cooler temperatures. However, we are expecting wind this afternoon, which with the uh, fires of note that we have in our area, it really doesn't matter what direction it is coming from. It it continues to be a problem for our area. So um, this is what we'll be watching and where we'll be sending resourcing to. And how's the air quality right now? I myself, I haven't stepped outside today, but yeah, I do understand that smoke in the, in the area is quite um, problematic. So encouraging people to stay indoors and make sure that they're um, protecting themselves from smoke inhalation. And you kind of touched on this, but as far as evacuees, is there a place as far as emergency centers or are there places for accommodation where people are able to go? Yeah, there is. It's um, it's great. We're seeing lots of evolution in this area. Um, people can go to ess.gov.bc.ca to register or pre-register if they're on alert. Um, this allows them to get a, a number from EMBC, uh, which allows them to access supports if they need to and if they're in an evacuated area. They can also, for those in the area of um, Central Okanagan, you can drop by the Kelowna Salvation Army location, which is our ESS reception center, and that's at 1480 Sutherland Avenue you here in Kelowna. All right. And I, I would imagine then people are finding places to go. Is there an issue at all? Do you know uh, for people that maybe if you don't have friends or family to go stay with, are there enough accommodations for people? No, what I understand is that accommodations are somewhat limited, but I know ESS is doing all they can and we are getting lots of great community sports, uh, support from people who are um, offering up properties for trailers and um, parking lots for trailers. So it is worthwhile to connect with ESS to make sure that um, we can get the supports we need to the evacuees in the area. And I don't know if you can answer this. Do you know how this, we've been hearing from people that have been working in, in fire information officer roles and working, fighting fires, talking about their seeing conditions that they don't recall seeing before. Uh, Is this one of the worst or the worst years we've had in this province when it comes to wildfires? Well, certainly from my experience in this role, it's uh, it's a really busy time. And when we're fighting fires on two fronts, it's certainly uh, very challenging. So it's um, really it really reminds you that it's important to stay safe out there and important to be careful when it's so um, when in fire season, for sure. All right. We will leave it there for today. Laura Wilson, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for your time today. No worries. Thanks, Jill, for your time. 
We just heard some of what U.S. President Joe Biden said he was addressing the nation, talking about the situation unfolding in Afghanistan. He went on to say, I will not repeat the mistakes we've made in the past. He said there was no good time to withdraw U.S. forces from Afghanistan, but things unfolded quicker than anticipated. Let's talk a bit more about this now with Matt Austin, former Canadian Armed Forces combat engineer. Matt served in the combat engineers deployed twice to Kandahar and also fought in Operation Medusa in 2006. Matt, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jill, for having me. What is your response or how do you respond to what we're seeing, the images and the footage that we're seeing coming out of Afghanistan right now? Uh, it, is, it is chaos. Uh, it is chaos and you can see it in the people, you can see it in the face uh, in the picture that we're seeing as we're trying to get interpreters and interpreter families and other people out of the country. Um, through the systems that have been provided to us that uh, it, it is there's fear there's absolute fear that's taken place in Kabul um, as the Taliban are now searching in compounds to compounds certain safe houses have been abandoned and are being raided and people are fearing from their lives and you can see it in them as they bed down and sleep down in the airfield in the dirt uh, to try and get and scramble to get out of that uh, out of that country uh, the President of the U.S. said that, or he admitted that the collapse of the government in Afghanistan and the Taliban retaking over these major areas, that it happened more quickly than the U.S. government had anticipated leading to that ongoing crisis. What are your thoughts on the fact that, that he's basically saying that, that he was surprised at how quickly it happened? I can believe it. I think it was only in January, or sorry, in August 8th, he was saying that, you know, we're not going to have a re- repeat of Saigon and no helicopters off of roofs. Uh, and, and we saw exactly that in Kabul just uh, the other day. You know, the, he was absolutely shocked. I think it was, as he said, systematic failure that occurred in intelligence to estimate how the Taliban would come out so quickly and just how quickly the Afghan forces and the Afghan government would collapse the provincial capitals. In many cases, not a single shot fired. And uh, they would just give up. To the soldiers that fought, the, the, my sisters and brothers in the Canadian Armed Forces, um, you know that there are people in the Afghan National Security Forces who you would trust and you believe they're well-trained and so forth. And then there's people that will work for who, whoever pays the most that day and would just as sooner open the gates than, than you know, uh, put their lives on the line, on the line to, to, uh, uh, to protect the country. So uh, I'm not... I'm not complete. I'm somewhat surprised that they came with such force so rapidly, but not surprised that once they gained momentum, it would fall very quickly. Um, and certainly we were saying this when we started getting uh, pleas for help from uh, Afghan interpreters and their families in, in, uh, in Afghanistan. You know, we started appealing weeks ago to the Canadian government to try and get them out. Um, we started appealing and a lot of that, as you can see, and you can, you can see it in social media, you can search for it. Um, a lot of that was going unanswered. Uh, a lot of that are pleas for the Canadian government to get the interpreters that was going unanswered. Do you think it's too late then at this point to, to get everybody to safety? I think we are bottlenecked in Kabul. And really, like you see the, the videos. Did you watch the videos this morning out of mm-hmm. Kabul and the aircraft and the people? And for those, I, mean, I guess for your viewers who haven't seen that, you know, you, there's, there's videos of when they're running along the, air, the airplane, and then there's videos of after the airplane took off. And those are very graphic videos. So don't, uh, you know, this, this is, these are horrific situations that we're seeing of people in utter desperation. Um, and Afghans, really, they're in that group that were chasing the airplane to try and get on board. There are people that have filled out their IRCC, the paperwork for the government of Canada to be refugees, that are trying to get out. Those are future Canadians. 
that are trying to get out. And in that group, we know there's hundreds there for Canada because we promised 20,000 to come to Canada. We didn't say when. We didn't say if they're all going to be from inside Canada, but we, we told them that go, and they, uh, they descended on Kabul. That's where they'll go. And now they're there sleeping in the dirt, chasing airplanes, trying to get out of that country. And really, with the shots fired while we were sleeping over the heads of them, trying to clear them off the airfield, we're really seeing that they're bottlenecking. Planes are coming in and leaving all the time. But you can even hear it on the calls, the updates for people we're trying to keep safe. Uh, there's gunfire in the background, and a lot of it is from the people trying to clear the airfield to keep people off the airfield so planes can come and go. So we don't have a repeat of what we see in the we saw this morning when we all woke up. It's you mentioned the video, and and again, for if people haven't seen the video, it is absolute chaos and it is horrifying when you see the the raw footage. People have died at that airport. Uh, what do you say then to to the the timing and how long it's taking? Like you said, these calls have been going out. There have been pleas for action here. This has been happening for weeks. That's correct. Yes. How long is it going to take? We found out the, just today. I think the story broke that. The Canadian Armed Forces had uh, deployed into Kuwait to start the to prepare for airlift out of uh, out of Kabul and have been, I guess, fighting back and forth to get the green light to start airlifting these people out. So there was movement that was happening from the Canadian Armed Forces, um, but like my sources have said, that there, there's fights happening between, uh, like, just sorry, information, lost information between IRCC and the Canadian Armed Forces. So many different organizations working in their own silos without much leadership and who's going to take, you know, take the lead and organize this. So uh, I think at this point now is how many people have descended on Kabul uh, and the situation there. Like we need to see planes coming in, uh, not only with journalists, because I think we need journalists on the ground, ASAP, to start keep the cameras rolling so that we can keep them safe and documented. Because as long as those cameras are rolling, I don't... The, the Taliban are not going to do stuff on camera. You know, we have to make sure everything is being documented. And then we got to get planes in there. we got to start setting up for a humanitarian crisis. So uh, you need to set up tents. You need to set up sanitary conditions. You need to set up ways so people can charge their phones. So when they do finally get that IRCC email or when they finally get notified they can get out, um, they can prove that and they can get out. And they can maintain communications with people. So it's gonna, this is going to continue to collapse if we can't start providing immediate aid. And that's going to include food. Uh, we, people are trying to get their money from understanding the banks are not, are, have pretty much stopped uh, distributing cash. I've heard there's been shakedowns at ATMs as well, bribes to use them. It, there's a lot of stuff happening right now in Kabul. And the best we can do is get the relief effort underway, get it in, get set up, get the people safe, and then start the process to get them out. But this, like I said, is... It sounds like from on the ground and from what I've heard, it, there's nobody really that was taking the lead on this until we're starting to slowly hear that there's some movement that's going to start taking place here. Uh, when you look at those videos as well, and I'm wondering, you might not know the answer to this question or maybe have an opinion as to, to why we're seeing this. But when you look at those videos, it appears like there are, are very few, if any, women. It's, it's all men that are running and that we're seeing in the videos. Where are all the women? Well, there, there are women. The women are generally sheltered. So there are some people, like, they're, they're in the groups. There's also a number of elder, elderly that are not on the video, too, because you're not going to, well, obviously you won't see them on the plane. So there are um, the, the vulnerable groups which are kept back and are not necessarily in those videos that are not, that are off on the side, like, hunkered down in their groups on the airfield. Or, or if they have only sent the mail to try the men to try and secure passage are in the safe areas are in the last what's remaining of the safe areas to be then brought out. But there's definitely full families that are attempting to get out and children.
What about other countries helping or stepping up and doing something? As far as we tend to focus a lot on what Canada's role is, what Canada's role should be. Again, we heard from the U.S. president earlier today. What about other countries? What role do you think they have? Well, from what I understand, lots of U.S. planes coming in and out. Um, So the United States took over, I believe, air traffic control on the base yesterday, um, which will help um, once they get that organized and sorted out. Uh, For other countries, I know in the United States, like we've heard, they recalled Parliament, very importantly recalled Parliament. They've gotten a little flack for recalling a little bit later, but they are recalling Parliament to deal with this crisis and how they maneuver on that, what we yet to see. Um, But I did actually hear that the ambassador of the UK was still there present signing visas for for Afghans trying to get out, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So um, fairly limited information other than um, it seems like a lot of back channels are taking place. Who knows who, who knows what, who knows people who have plans to try and get people out right now. And uh, there are a lot of people uh, for hire that are trying to get uh, Afghans out of the country as well. And as somebody who was deployed there, that fought in missions there, how do you feel looking at what's happening now? I've seen some other comments made online and and comments on various stories from soldiers saying, was everything I did for nothing? Did we lose lives there for nothing? What are your thoughts about the the role that Canada played up until this point and and now what we're seeing? I I believe it's not not for nothing. And uh, the soldiers... You know, these sisters and brothers, we have to understand that a lot of, we affected a lot of lives. Those girls and boys we, you know, handed out our, our, our spare ration desserts to and shared with and gave us a thumbs up and always, you know, Canada number one, that we're always there for us. And you can remember their faces. You know, many of them are, are late teenagers, they're in their early 20s, and they've lived under freedom. And we promised them that they can become something absolutely amazing, that they could become engineers, girls could become scientists and even politicians. We promised these things to them. And it's all not, it's not for nothing. It's that we now have to fulfill that promise of their dreams that they can achieve that and help get them out. And that's going to be, that will be our legacy is that we get these people out so that they can be free because I I don't believe for a second they'll be free under the Taliban. I don't believe for a second. I believe once those cameras stop rolling, that's when the blood starts. I understand you're trying to get a specific or an Afghan girls robotic robotics team out. Yes, I'm working working with the the group to try and get uh, some of the girls from the Afghan robotics team out of uh, out of Kabul, and we we we're doing everything we can, uh, certainly everything we can through the United States government, third party countries. Um, again, we're we're up in a very similar bottleneck of how can we get them out in, as quick as possible. Um, they don't want to be there, and they want to be out. They want to get to another safe haven, and they're not safe there. Um, you have to remember a lot of the prisons in Afghanistan got jailbroke once the Taliban rolled through. Whoever was in there is free and roaming. So this is not necessarily, it wasn't safe before, but you can't imagine that it's going to be safe afterwards either by any means. So we're, we're trying to get them out. We're trying to, uh, you know, pull any string we possibly can, um, either to get them to Canada uh, or to another nation. And. And Matt, just one other question for you, just when you, you say that that it's now the mission of getting people out, getting them to freedom so they can fulfill those dreams and have those lives. Is that the recognition that the Taliban has won in that case and that they've taken over these key parts of the country? Is that just going to be the way it is now? I, I don't know what the I can't speak to what the Afghan will is to fight. Uh, you know, we can't I can't speak to that. The. 
I know that they've gone and they're going around. There's many cases I've heard of them collecting up weapons to prevent any fight. So if there is an Afghan will to rise up against the Taliban, we'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to see. Um, all the best we can do right now is those people that we made these promises and, and instilled in them the dreams is that we can help them get out and allow those dreams to come true, to provide that security for their future. Uh, what Taliban turns into and what the Afghan people want it to be, um, that will be an Afghan decision. And we as the West, we will have to watch and see what, what develops in there. But there are people right now that we can make a difference for in the next several hours and days, not weeks, uh, to change their lives to the positive. And, you know, if, and if I, can, I can just say it, it's, it's kind of it's adds sadness to me personally to see certain political figures flying around in this country for, you know, what is being called a, I'll use air quotes, necessary election when lives are being determined by the hour based on how many flights we can, planes we can get into that country. So it's just, it seems like there's two worlds happening here. All right. Uh, very good point. Uh, Matt, we'll leave it there. We're right out of time, but thank you so much for joining us today and talking more about this. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Be safe. Well, there have been several coyote attacks in Stanley Park. There have been warning signs put up. Some coyotes in that park have been euthanized. But even since that happened, there have been more reported attacks. So what can be done? This, as the Vancouver Aquarium reopens, that means there will be more people going to Stanley Park, likely to check out that attraction. Let's talk more about this with Trisha Barker, who is a park board commissioner with the NPA. Trisha, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, what can or do you have concerns with the aquarium reopening, which is great that the attraction is reopening? Do you have concerns that that will mean, though, more people are going to Stanley Park? Well, uh, you know, I will tell you that this morning um, at about seven o'clock, I actually went uh, into Stanley Park, drove in there, and um, I just wanted to take a picture of the aquarium before it opened, and I only took two steps away from my car, was looking around the entire time, took the picture and got back in the car uh, because it was early in the morning. And that's when we know the, when the, uh, the attacks have happened. So uh, I think it's very worse, worrisome that this is going on. But I was actually shocked at how many people are still in the park at that early time in the morning. And there were lots of people out on the seawall, of course, lots of the cyclists going around and um, people walking, you know, paths. Now, there are lots of signage uh, to not go into these, um, you know, into the wooded areas. Uh, there's the fire signs. There's all these signs up about people being careful. But I was surprised at how many people are still going into the park in especially areas that um, are deemed dangerous. So I, I really don't know what the answer is, I think, but a lot of people have got to really come together to make a decision about what we should be doing with the coyotes. We don't have this problem in our golf courses and the other wooded areas in town that we know where coyotes live. We only seem to have that problem in Stanley Park right now, but I think it's time to, to fix it. And I know you don't have all of the answers, and the park board, others have been looking at this as well. Would you support even shutting down a section of the park, or what do you think could be done in the short term to keep people safe? Well, a lot of the inside trails are shut down, and there's big tape along them not to go in. Um, I saw one of the parking lots was shut because I think that that's where people were going into um, the area that's more dangerous. So that 
work has been done to keep people out of that area, but that's not a good long-term way to fix this. My concern from when this started was, you know, what, why the coyotes in there? Like, is it because that they've had, you know, pretty much the, the full reign of that uh, huge wooded area for so long without all the people there? Is that what changed their behavior? They aren't used to humans. So I think we've got to bring everyone together, get the experts in the room. And, you know, right now it seems to be we, we're talking to little piecemeal bits and people having ideas. I think it's time to get everyone together to decide how to make the park safe again for at least that aspect of it. Uh, I know there have also been uh, experts that have weighed in on this saying that they've looked at the park at maps of the park and where there are homeless camps and there have been homeless camps in that park for for many years uh, but saying it's clear the coyotes are, are being fed that they are associating food with humans whether it's people who live in the park who are feeding them or people who are visiting the park who are feeding them but then also saying that there's something else going on because in many cases coyotes get fed but they don't become this aggressive that there's something else happening so how do we even address that why like you said why we're seeing this activity this behavior from coyotes in stanley park but not other parts of the city where there are also coyotes and that's the question that i want answered and you've said it yourself um we've had people living in that park for years And it's not like they just started feeding the coyotes. I think there's always been that going on. The biggest thing that I can see is during COVID, um, the park has not had all the tourists that it usually has. So it's usually been full of people and uh, people walking those inside trails and um, all of the buses going through. A lot of things were constantly going on in that park. And that hasn't been that way for at least a year and a half. So, that's the biggest change that I see. Um, and I think that's one of the things we've got to really remind the experts of is, is this the reason we're seeing it? You know, when you look at the golf courses now, they're not having any problem with the coyotes, but the golf courses have never been so busy. So what's the difference? I think it's time that we come up with an answer and a plan so we know that the park is going to be safe. I know some of the coyotes in that park were euthanized, the Conservation Service putting out that information when that happened. But if the attacks are still going on, I know that the decision to euthanize wasn't popular with everybody. But if that was done and the attacks are still going on, does that point to perhaps more of the coyotes in that park need to be euthanized? I'm not the expert, so I don't know. I I, I don't even know how many coyotes live in the park this is where I think that we have to get everyone on the same page so we can come up with a plan. Is that the only plan? And again, my question is why the coyotes in Stanley park and not all the other coyotes that live in the city. Right. So is anything being done at this point, as far as say getting the BC conservation service, getting the park board, getting the Stanley park ecology society, getting everybody in the same room or on the same zoom call to figure out what to do next? Well, that's what we're looking to have happen. Unfortunately, we've had the other problems with, you know, the the fire risk. And I think everyone's just um, being pushed to the limit so much. Our staff has been dealing with so many things. Uh, But uh, luckily with this wet weather, maybe we can get back to the, the big conversation of the coyotes and, as I said, come up with a plan. All right. Well, we will be paying attention and uh, hopefully not hearing about more attacks in that park. We'll leave it there for today. Trisha Barker, thank you so much for joining us.
Thank you, Jill.